I hate Edward. <laughs> Same. He's awful. I'm getting, I'm getting so tired of him right now. I know. I think people, it's so interesting that people like finished reading Midnight Sun and they were like, I love him. I want three more books from his perspective. Because right now I'm like, I, I can't handle him. it. <laughs> oh, he has too much to say. He just, this section was so long. So long. The only word that I have to describe it is long. <laughs> like, Bella can literally look out the window and he'll be like, This reminds me of a summer day. Of the stay. year 1924. <laughs> <laughs> God. This fucker. Oh my God. Gender Forking After Dark Part 2, um, <laughs> Twilight Saga Podcast. <laughs> this is a podcast about the Twilight Saga. We happen to be recording later into the evening once again. Is that going to impact the quality of the podcast? Probably. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe. Uh, <laughs> uh, in some way, for better or for worse, we don't really know yet. My name is Sam. I'm Lori, and today we're reading chapter 17, Confessions. We finally made it to the meadow scene. Today on Gender Forking, Lori is drinking an Allagash White beer. That is the beer that Alex, my partner, puts into cans mm-hmm. every day. Um, I am a little tipsy. From a family gathering. So I'm trying to match that energy mm. by drinking one beer. Mm. I did like, <laughs> I am a little concerned that I mixed. And also I had food that had a lot of different kinds of cheese in it. Oh no. <laughs> and usually this means that I will be waking up in the middle of the night in pain. Yeah, yeah, definitely. So I'll let you know next week. Oh my god. Um, <laughs> <sighs> okay, well this section was fucking long it's massive it's a massive section it's so long and edward uh, has so much to say i don't like and this like, man <laughs> yeah i was like i almost said like i love you but i hate you but like really right now i'm just like please stop talking <laughs> yeah he just had like a lot of thoughts about like a lot of things to the point where towards the end i stopped taking notes yeah because <laughs> i was like this is ridiculous and like it's so it's so interspersed with like dialogue from Twilight that we're extremely familiar with. Yeah. But by this point in the novel, like I'm it's just I'm so strongly getting the sense of Stephanie Meyer being like, I have to defend Edward's every single action. Yeah, to, it feels yeah. so like way more in depth than it needs to be, it honestly. It felt a little tedious. And I was like, I yeah. don't know if this is because I'm reading it kind of on a deadline, but I haven't felt that way about other like larger chunks it just feels like yeah. this is a particularly tedious section to read right it's just like Which a, is not a how lot. i expected to feel yeah no no no. i had been looking forward to the meadow scene for years for years yeah there's parts in it that i love like there's right. a lot of yes. backstory that comes out in this section i do yeah. think it's another kind of life and death thing that happens where like she knows she's not gonna write any other books from the point of view of Edward and so she threw in a lot of his thoughts on things and I think she happened Mm. to throw a lot of them in during this section which Mm -hmm. I think I would have enjoyed 
other places. This is a huge chapter for Edward. He goes, he, he undergoes so much character development in such, like, a short span of time that we really only get a glimpse of in Twilight. Yeah. So it's, like, interesting, I guess. My other observation about the differences between Twilight and Midnight Sun is that with with Twilight, I feel like we're so close to Bella and we feel like I feel like I'm right there with her the whole time and I'm seeing what her see what she's seeing, mm-hmm. but like with Edward, I don't even know if Bella's there or not. <laughs> He's thinking so much, <laughs> <Yeah>. you know. <laughs> yeah, there's like huge spans of pages and pages where he doesn't think about Bella <laughs> at all. At all. <laughs> It's kind of funny. I mean, it kind of makes sense that there's this huge knot of future and possibilities that they have to work through, and he doesn't necessarily know where that is and, like, when he's made it through the knot. And so he's kind of like, did I make it? And then something else will happen, and he's like, okay, did I make it? And then one more thing will happen, and he's like, okay, surely I've made it now. And it's just, it's really interesting. I guess it's more realistic than him, like, being like, ah... And just like that, I was through. through the knot, you know? Yeah. Um, but it was interesting. It was interesting. That's really all I can say. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Episode over. <laughs> the first thing, he doesn't think until it happens, but he's like, oh, yeah, I guess, Ed- uh, like, Bella seeing me in the sun kind of looks like I've burst into flames. And I'm like, you thought about this moment so hard, and you were like, she's gonna find me repulsive she's gonna this she's gonna that and you didn't think like that thought until it happened this is absolutely a deleted scene of twilight the actual moment where bella sees edward sparkling Mm. for the first time and i felt like it was really interesting when compared to the scene in life and death because we do get it from Bo's perspective yes yeah and from Bo's perspective he literally like falls to his knees and talks about how it's the kind of beauty you want to worship yeah. and Bella doesn't do that and I'm like yeah because it would be like Terrifying. considered like yeah like strange and like maybe even misogynistic for her to be like I worship Edward. Yes, that would be <laughs> But super like weird. it was <laughs> yeah and then like for her for Stephanie Meyer to write Bo like worshiping Edith it's like oh this is feminism. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Oh I just felt like it was weird. <laughs> Yeah, it, it is weird. It's it's like, it's weird. <laughs> <laughs> it's weird. Bella's weirdly, not that she's not expressive at other moments, but like when she tells him that like, I've never seen anything more beautiful, never imagined something so beautiful could exist. I'm like, okay. Yeah. You're saying that right now? Yeah. It's interesting because <laughs> like, I feel like they really skirt around like traditional ways of expressing either their attraction towards each other or their feelings towards each other. And they yeah, end up like saying clear expressions. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They end up saying this really convoluted shit that's like, so the lion fell in love with the lamb. Mm-hmm. Like that kind of stuff. Or like, yeah. you are my life now. And stuff like that that like no yeah. one says in real life. Instead they say, like, I really like you. And like, yeah. you're so beautiful. And like things like that. And right. this is like the closest we get to something conventional being shared between them. <laughs> yeah. Edward's like so freaked out because he's so paranoid about alice's vision yeah he's like really worried about coming upon this moment where he might kill her mm-hmm. <laughs> so like that's valid i guess so he feels like he needs to take a lot of time mm-hmm. to to kind of acclimate to her in this environment and this is when he goes and like actually sits down and then she goes and sits down and that's where like this chapter starts in from bella's perspective in twilight he's like sitting there for a long time and he's counting her heartbeats mm-hmm. 2364 of her heartbeats i did some math <laughs> um <laughs> okay 
<laughs> well, because I was like, that's a lot of heartbeats. Mm-hmm. Um, how long did he make her sit there in silence? Because mm-hmm. they're just sitting in silence. Uh-huh. He describes her heartbeat as like calm. <laughs> he also describes it as throbbing wetly, which I hate. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I do hate that. I can't stop thinking about that. That's now. the most disgusting way he's described it so far. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Throbbing wetly. Um, 2,364 wet throbs later. <laughs> at like roughly 60 beats per minute, which is like roughly resting heart rate, somewhere between like 50 and 70 or 50 or 80, depending on who you ask. Mm-hmm. Comes out to an average of like this. They're sitting there quietly for like anywhere between like Mm, 35 to 45 minutes so like maybe 40 minutes they're just sitting there that's kind of a that's long time crazy at yeah, that time like first of all it, bella's gonna get bitten by a tick <laughs> yeah you know bella yeah. officially has lyme disease at this point <laughs> yeah canonically yeah. she it has would explain lyme a disease. lot <laughs> yeah yeah, they're just chilling quietly. A couple times throughout this section, I, 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 he's, like, intentionally letting himself, like, really think through his vampiric instincts mm-hmm. and, like, not suppress them mm-hmm. while he's near her. And I'm like, I understand why you're doing that and, like, the importance of needing to do that. But, like, if you're so worried about this moment, why didn't you do that before in a controlled environment? Yeah, the, it feels irresponsible that this is the first time he's entertaining those thoughts, you know? Yeah, he does it, like, right here in the meadow. Mm-hmm. And then he does it, like, later on when he's, like, putting his fucking face against her throat. And I'm like, okay. Yeah. Yeah, it's really questionable. <laughs> he also, like, before he gives into those thoughts, he's, like, trying to calm himself by thinking of these, like, really obscure, <laughs> like, <laughs> things. And the first one is, like... I can't believe... We were told that this this happened, which I'm sure a lot of you yeah. would have listened to our collab episode with um, Remember Twilight and Twilight Phase. <laughs> I wasn't, I, like, they told me it was coming and I still wasn't prepared, but he calculates the number of bugs in Olympic National Park based on the number of bugs in the meadow at the moment. And if <laughs> the insect population dropped 1% for each 10 feet of elevation. It literally, like, math? it's interesting because he, his thoughts in this, in this section specifically, he talks about, like, this math and like bringing he said i brought up in my head a topographic map of the park and started computing the numbers and then also he talks about weighing something in his hand and he gets a very precise number and i'm like yeah you're a computer yeah <laughs> like i don't <laughs> yeah okay the math in this section was very interesting for me he comments that he um that he notices bella's trying to flip his hand over and he like does it for her because she won't be able to do it herself because he weighs like yeah. more than he looks and i'm like how heavy are you and also if you're that heavy like enough to like pick up like a 800 pound tree branch and do whatever you do how do you sit in normal furniture without it breaking do you think they're actually just like crouching like and only like you know when you can like gingerly place your weight on something but you're also using some of your like muscle kind of like doing a like a, yeah. a wall sit they're squatting <laughs> Yeah, all the time. They're squatting. The time. They're, like, putting a little bit of pressure on their toes, a little bit of pressure on the chair, but, like, mostly hovering. Yeah. <laughs> oh, my God. What kind of life is that? <laughs> what kind of life is that? That's the worst part about school for them. <laughs> yeah. is like, doing a wall sit all day. 
Yeah, I mean, they must be really heavy. Like, do they weigh, like, a ton? I don't know. Like, what if they, like, maybe a couch, like, an average couch can support them, but they, like, sink way down. I also think about things like cars. You know what I mean? Like, when you put a lot of weight into a car, it, like, kind of... Slows it down. Sits, like, a little bit lower and stuff like that. Like, I know that, like, you can weigh down the back of your car to make it a little less slippy in the snow and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Like, I always put bricks mm-hmm. in the back of mine. I should have just put a vampire. <laughs> I'm so perplexed by that. That seems like an oversight to me. I'd understand them being just, like, denser, proportionately and appropriately heavier. Like, if they're denser, then that means they can't float. When they yeah. swim, they're, like, they're not floating at all. They're just probably walking on the bottom of the ocean, which would make sense, but... <laughs> <laughs> so funny. <laughs> that thought is hilarious. Like, you know... <laughs> When um, Bella dives off the cliff in New Moon, how Edward is just uh-huh. kind of like floating around in there. And actually Victoria as well. It'd be really funny if Victoria tried to go after her, but then sunk too fast to catch her. Yeah. <laughs> You'd also think yeah, like, it seems like they get too much of the best of both worlds in the sense that like they're both heavier and therefore, like, maybe stronger and harder to, like, move. But they also kind of get the, like, weightless, effortless gracefulness of, like, being really light on their feet and, like, sliding around and, like, jumping really far and stuff like that. And it's, like, choose one. I know, honestly. Also, in this exact same section where he's calculating the bugs, mm. he's also recalling every song that he's ever heard only one time. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm, like... Do you have perfect memory? And then later on, he makes a comment about how he has perfect recall. And I'm like, okay, so you really are a computer. Yeah, which is really interesting. When he talks about perfect recall, I wonder how like much he f- just forgets about what humans can and can't do. He's like, I could perfectly recall the biology classroom. And I'm like, yeah, you know, Bella probably could perfectly recall the classroom that she sits in for five hours a week, <laughs> you know? Yeah. <laughs> Which, like, I'm sure he does actually have perfect, like, recall, but it's, it's just funny because it's like, that's not impressive. <laughs> where does it all go? You know? Just like the blood. Where does it all go? Where is it that, where is that sitting inside of him? <laughs> His I don't brain. know. I don't know. Their, how does their memory, the memory part of their brain, expand and, like, work in an entirely different way than humans? <laughs> Clearly, Stephanie was not prepared to answer these questions. Similar to this topic, it was later in the chapter, but I feel like it's worth talking about now. Edward is talking about how his... Actually, he makes reference to this multiple times, but he talks about how his human memories fade. And so when he's talking about, like, painful memories about his life, like his mother dying or, like, other sad things, he talks about how those memories have faded because the pain of transformation is so great. And it's, like, I don't know. I don't think that they're super explicit about talking about, like... I I don't know how tied it is to that one traumatic moment of pain because it's, like... Yeah. It just seems like uh like just a general trauma response like people forget traumatic things that happened to them. <laughs> All the vampires that we know have died in traumatic ways, so it makes sense that they would forget those things and then it doesn't really make sense that they would vividly remember the pain of their transformation. Right. In the same kind of logic, I guess. Yeah, I always thought that they like forgot their human lives because just their human brain was like weak in comparison and like it's like the equivalent of having like photos from a shitty flip phone. Yeah. That are like really low resolution. Yeah. I don't know. It was interesting to hear about that. 
this whole section, it just has so much packed into it. Too much, one might say. Yeah, one might say it's (laughs) too long. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, it's definitely a lot. We're pretty much at the the moment, <laughs> the defining moment of... Um, God, yeah, which we were right about. Yeah, we were right. It was that almost kiss. Which is so almost that, like, in Twilight, you don't even really know if that's what's happening. Yeah. Honestly. Edward says, like, if I were something better, if I were somehow stronger, instead of a brutal near-pass at death, that moment could have been our first kiss. It happens so fast and it's like so he jerks back so aggressively that I'm like Yes. I don't know. It feels like it just feels like what like I feel like if that happened to someone and it was like zoom, he's gone, like I don't even know what Bella's thinking in this moment. I don't even like I feel like she's just like in Twilight, she's just kind of like, Oh, alright. <laughs> And, like, she's a little perplexed, but, like, it seems, like, more because he moved so fast. What I was reflecting on in this section, her eyes are closed, and mm-hmm. she's leaning toward him as if to kiss him. And I'm like, it's very good that your eyes are closed, because it seems like from what he does, yeah. sounds horrifying. He, like, opens his mouth as if to bite her. Yeah, yeah, and, like, moves his hand as if to, like, grab her, and then he launches himself away. I wish and we I'm got like, to see that okay. in a film. That's horrifying. That sounds horrifying. Yeah, totally. I think, like, that's maybe one of the things that would scare her. Oh, yeah. Because there's, like, very few things that do end up scaring her, and this one is... I mean, I imagine it would look as intense as it does in New Moon when Jasper lunges at her at her birthday party. That's scary. Like, I remember being scared when I saw that in theaters, knowing it was coming even. Like, when he launches at her, he looks terrifying. He looks feral. Yeah. (laughs) So... They they do look feral when they're kind of, like, in the zone. Seems like this is really... Just because it's, like, surprising to him. Yeah. Which is, like, interesting. I don't know how she can ever surprise him moving as slowly in comparison as she does, but whatever. Yeah, and also it's really... I digress. ...interesting because this is the moment, right? And we know that Edward kind of guesses that once it's happened. It seems like he expects her to react in a way that mirrors his reaction of, like, horror and disgust, which he always does. He always expects that from her, and then he's like, that's stupid Bella again, not reacting appropriately. But it's like, Edward, Mm. you haven't given her any context for how serious this moment is. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Like, I don't think he does a good enough job... And I've said this a million times, communicating. But I don't think that he realizes that she probably would be a lot more shaken up if he was honest and he didn't use the coded language that he does to talk about the severity of situations. He's like saying things like, it's not safe for you to be around me. But he's not giving specifics. Like if he was like, hey, real talk, like I might kill you today. There's going to be a test that we have to go through together. And if we make it, we make it. If we don't, we don't. That would warrant, like, a reaction from her. This, like, she has no way of knowing how serious that moment was. No, and he never tells her as far as we know. And I'm kind of wondering, like, would it change the future or the vision if he just told her more information? If he told her, hey, I need you to be really on your guard and, like, move slowly around me and give me lots of warning and don't, you know, do X, Y, Z. I wonder if it would push it back because it seems like by Stephanie and maybe by extension Alice's logic, the only way for them to get past this part of their relationship is not this uncertainty, is to like address it and maybe like... Experience it. If she was too careful with him, they wouldn't have experienced it on this day. It seems like... (laughs) This is all... 
<laughs> I hate it. This is all coming back to like them kissing. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, this is the topic that I feel like Edward has been avoiding in his head. Yeah. The possibility of either them doing that at all or like of him trying to do it or of her trying to do it. Yeah. And I feel like as far as we know, he hasn't been mentally preparing himself no. to be that close to her and that ends up being the issue. Which I feel like if he had if he had been spending time with his siblings in a meaningful way except for when Alice like corners him or other than when Alice corners him they could have helped him prepare not for the specific example because like they've for my knowledge never kissed a human but like <laughs> it's just like people will say things online that are like haha like Jasper and Emmett giving uh Edward the sex talk and it's like the problem is he hasn't given them the opportunity to do that because he's never home through reading Midnight Sun it's really given me this appreciation that like he probably could have worked through this in a healthier way with like the support of his family but instead he spent all his waking <laughs> hours which are like 24 7 in Bella's room and like with mm -hmm. Bella and he's like not able to talk things out with people unless they like corner him <laughs> into yeah. it oh uh, it's so annoying <laughs> which is like no, it's bad for everyone it's not just edward that it's bad for but like i feel like he doesn't put forth the extra effort to like spend time with his siblings <laughs> yeah and like the rest of his family and that it's just like he gets to think his thoughts and then not have anyone else's like input into them yeah he's like oh well i need to spend as much time with her as possible to get used to her scent but then he's also not taking time to like process his emotions mm -hmm. or like process what's happening which you can only do when you're like away from the situation you can't do that when you're like in it <laughs> and like feeding your desire it's it's a huge red flag that edward when she doesn't react in a way that he wants or expects without providing her enough context instead of like providing her that context he acts out and tries to artificially like elicit that reaction instead of like meeting her where she's at or giving her the context that he feels like could be helpful he like does things to scare her which is a huge red flag like he explicitly yeah. does things to make her feel upset and scared um yeah <laughs> and that's she would like stop. so terrifying it's like it's not like to make him feel better you know what i mean like it's not like he no. is getting some emotional release from this tantrum it's like he perceives like that she's reacting wrong and is like, well, I'll scare her. And it's like, toxic. Yeah, it's like, maybe you're acting wrong. If you're not enjoying this and she's not enjoying it, then like, what is this for? Yeah. Pull it together. <laughs> right. If you feel like you can't be with her in a certain capacity, then like, you need to talk about that instead of like, talking about all the ways that it can't work. Talk about the ways that it can work. It's scary because it is like, I don't know. Not that I think like, Bella is reacting mm -hmm. badly or recklessly, like to this situationally like I don't agree with Edward that she's not reacting appropriately because yes. I think she did a lot of rationalizing of like what this meant for her and she just mm -hmm. has already decided that she's all in but it is scary that she's like there are red flags that she is deciding to just let right. pass and know? like almost least of all the fact that he's a vampire and could kill her like sure that's pretty obvious but like his non-vampiric behaviors are also red flags. Right. <laughs> they, uh, I guess they get over it. Yeah. <laughs> Things kind of go up from here, I suppose. And he does apologize. He apologizes he for the tantrum, which is, like, good. But don't do it. 
I feel like I can't believe like it's taken us only like half this book for us to be like Bella. <laughs> it's not working. Yeah. Well, there's a I little flashback this, on yeah. one of the upcoming pages. The flashbacks are like literally the best mm-hmm. part of this book. I wish that this book was actually like Edward's first year of life, actually or, like, like first a prequel decade or whatever. Yeah, yeah. same. Give that she to could me. truly write a series of vignettes that are just like essentially like one shot <laughs> of like one memory <laughs> and then like maybe like transformation yeah. first christmas first time decided to kill you know yeah. like this <laughs> baby's this memory, first murder the memory of, of rosalie joining the memory of you know like standout moments from his life from his point of view rather than this i feel like i would love right this is a good flashback he hit the way that bella is treating him with so much empathy and kindness reminds him of when he returned home to Carlisle and Esme after his like decade or whatever away and the way that they were just so happy to receive him and like weren't judging him at all and he felt you know loved TM it's very sweet uh I love Carlisle and Esme yeah they're so sweet you know what I loved about this too is that like hear me out it's very Catholic. Um, <laughs> okay, go off. So it's just really interesting because Edward, we know Edward tends towards like expecting the worst and like expecting that people will be like way more upset with him than they ever are. But mm-hmm. it's interesting the way that mm-hmm. he talks about it here. It feels, I don't know, it's, it feels so Catholic. <laughs> yeah, like his he, guilt. the guilt and then... Yeah. I wondered what, the, like, the was the res- worst reception I could expect? Would he just send me away? Would he find it difficult to look at me to see what a disappointment I'd become? Was there a penance he would demand? I would do it, whatever he asked. Would my efforts to improve move him at all, or would he just see my failure? And it's like, I read that, and I've honestly been reflecting a lot on religious trauma this weekend, because <laughs> this person that I know is becoming a nun, and she was so mean to me. <laughs> just thinking a lot about it and how I think it's very funny that she's becoming a nun when she's like one of the top reasons that I stopped going to church oh my god but anyway I've been reflecting (laughs) on this recently and I was reading this and it feels so much like the experience of going to confession just Mm. like and not in the fun not in the fun sexy hot priest fleabag way (laughs) though I have been trying to convince um, Helen and JJ that we should buy a confessional for our home (laughs) and they're always like why and I'm like because it's fun (laughs) (laughs) you talking about religious trauma you want to buy a confessional (laughs) (laughs) it's like I was thinking about that in terms of like two things one penance obviously because it's a huge part of confession is that like the priest you go in you tell them your sins and they give you something that you have to do to make up for the sins whether or not it makes sense Mm. so like sometimes (laughs) they'll tell you to go out and immediately pray like 10 hail marys and then go on your way but if you've been particularly bad they can get creative and they can like request that you like it's up to you they can't hold you to it obviously like they're not in charge of you but if you think that you're gonna go to hell if you don't listen to what the priest says you'll probably do it and so (laughs) sometimes it's praying sometimes they get creative sometimes they want you to apologize sometimes they want you to etc but also this like would he find it difficult to look at me and see what a disappointment i'd become like a defining factor of like catholic confession is that in the best of circumstances you don't have to look at a priest it's not always like this i've certainly been to churches where they don't have traditional confessionals and you like sit across from the priest at like a desk or something 
which is like not how it's mm-hmm. traditionally done. Traditionally, there's supposed to be like a screen between you and the priest, and you're not supposed to be able to see each yeah. other, which really preserves some anonymity. It just helps, like, you can be like, I masturbated again. And then they're like, oh, no, not again. And but they don't know. You know like, it's not a, you don't have as much guilt. But anyway, this felt very, very Catholic of them, mm-hmm. which makes sense for for what, what this, this book, book is. is. And it's just interesting. I, I don't I don't know if like Mormons do like confession. I don't know. Like some I guess like some Christian branches, denominations like w- like retain that from Catholicism. I think mm-hmm. like. Also, like, Eastern Orthodox Christianity retains that in certain countries. But but it's really fun and fresh. Loved it. Love that. Mm. Mm. Religion. <laughs> I can't get over Edward here. His flashback ends. She goes back to tracing on his hand. And he's like, she's not speaking. Maybe she's tracing a message into my hand. Like, Edward, please go away. All spelled out. And I'm like, I don't think she's going to do that, He buddy. seems so hopeful do you, I don't think that, that, that will happen. That. And it's yeah. like... You need to just accept that you're in this now. Yeah, they're both in it. And, like, at a certain point, maybe even now, like, it becomes unfair to Bella if he's only going to think of the relationship in Mm -hmm. this way. Because it's so, not, like, conditional, but just, like, there's always this underpinning of, we shouldn't be doing this. This is wrong. Like, it's not good for you. Like, that's, you can't have a real healthy relationship if one or both people are always going to be thinking that in any capacity it will prevent you from moving forward and like actually trying to have like a real functioning relationship it does it's also it's like really unfair and you can see almost that this is going to be the defining conflict of their relationship for the next two books you can see that like he's not gonna let this go and he kind of is reflecting at the end of this chapter which we're not there yet but (laughs) oh well he's reflecting at the end of the chapter like the the future that he really wants is the future where Bella grows old. He yeah. was like it's it's too fuzzy for him and the other future where she becomes a vampire is much more solid for him and for Alice particularly mm-hmm. actually for Alice. He has this feeling when he's like, "Well, I I made it through this one, so it almost gives him like renewed gusto that he can that he can influence what will happen in the future just by wanting something really mm. badly." And it's almost like I wish that he didn't draw that conclusion from his ability to not kill Bella in the meadow it seems like it makes him too cocky that he will be able to have exactly the version of the future that he wants right and one of those you know the version of the future where he kills her is because of his decision Mm -hmm. only that's him taking control of of the situation or losing control of the situation however you want to see it the other two have way more to do with Bella's decision making in the version where he kills her, that's, like, where Bella mm-hmm. doesn't get a say. In the version where she becomes a vampire, that one's stronger. He mentions that that one is stronger. And, like, we know that it's stronger because that's yeah. what she wants. And, like, the version where she is still a human, just a little bit older, is, like, less visible because it's, like, more uncertain and, like, that's not really what right. Bella wants. <laughs> so, I don't know. It just, like, they have this 
relationship, obviously, like, even through New Moon, where he's not, like, threatening Mm -hmm. to leave her, but, like, that's always, like, an undercurrent, and he keeps expressing that, like, oh, I'll leave if if I think it's too dangerous for you. And it's not as explicit as, like, one person being, like, I'm gonna break up with you, like, all the time, which is, like, an abusive tactic, I guess. It's not, like, quite there, but, like, a a relationship where one person is always talking about leaving or threatening leaving or for whatever reason, like, is so unstable because then the other person has to try to stabilize the relationship, like, all the time and is, like, gonna be constantly walking on eggshells. It's scary, too, because it's, like, she gets a glimpse of that now where he says, like, it... If I was able to, like, I would, I should have left long ago. I should leave now, but I don't know if I can. And then if I'm not, if I'm not wrong, like, he does keep saying that a little bit, but he only really seriously says it in this moment. And at the end of the book, after Mm -hmm. she almost dies, he's, like, seriously threatening Mm -hmm. to not be around anymore. It's so scary because, like, he's probably thinking it. And, I mean, he is thinking it all the time. He's thinking about how... He just wants to leave. He wants it to be best for her. And she doesn't really know the degree to which he is thinking about it so constantly. So Mm -hmm. she can't even... It's true. She doesn't prepare for it happening because of that. And that's terrifying. Like, she... Like, we know in New Moon how blindsided she is that he actually leaves because he he, he promises not to. Eventually, he says, like, it's fine, I won't at the end of this book. And it's like, Mm -hmm. she takes him at his word, and then he leaves anyway. And I'm like, oh my god. People can do that? (laughs) (laughs) It's so interesting. Like, this moment, and then when he does eventually leave a new moon, they are both expressions of different visions that Alice has that I think Stephanie Meyer is explaining as, like, things that kind of, like, need to happen. Like, these are versions of the future that they need to move through in order to, like, get to the eventual perfect ending that they get to and whatever i don't know if i believe that but that's kind of the way that it's being posited i don't know i don't i just feel like it's just so unstable for bella and i feel i'm like when are we going to start taking her bella's desires and her agency seriously i mean i i agree yeah he kind of thinks about it here but then he like doesn't fully and it's like in order for her to like make an informed decision he needs to start being like way chiller about a lot of things <laughs> yeah got to get really cool about a lot yeah. of stuff really quick <laughs> there's a really beautiful passage again about i i feel like this could be a segment like edward's pomegranate thoughts mm-hmm. <laughs> but he says she's starting to talk about like she wants to stay with him and he guesses like that means mm-hmm. forever and he says this was a dangerous path to even hint at Hades and his pomegranate. How many toxic seeds had I already infected her with? And then he says he f- feels as though he's been corrupted, mm-hmm. hooked, addicted with no hope of recovery. And I'm like, when are we going to stop comparing love Well, it's to not addiction? this chapter because they're about to have that heroin conversation. <laughs> yes. And so we're comparing love to addiction and then we're also comparing thirst yeah. to addiction. Interesting Interesting. <laughs> it's definitely something that happens a lot in Twilight and apparently Minnison, obviously, of course, but Edward being... Uh, I mean, he definitely differentiates between, like, the different hungers, a.k.a., like, thirsting for her blood and then, like, wanting to have sex with her. But, like, it seems like he doesn't actually differentiate between them because of the way he talks about them and the way he treats them as both being completely unacceptable. But, like, he doesn't really acknowledge, like, the difference and why they're unacceptable. Yes, and I agree. (laughs) I feel like what, what even furthers that conflation is... 
the way that he talks mm-hmm. about when Emmett slips up on the next page, he's yeah. talking to Bella and Bella asks questions about like if other people in his family have experienced this feeling of like one person or the sensation of one person being more appealing. And he says, mm-hmm. em- it's happened to Emmett twice and Jasper is not as like good at fine-tuning the differences between blood because he's more recently a vegetarian it's kind of like i mean it's weird that bella asks this anyway well i guess not it's not weird but the way that edward like it's almost like he's associating this act of of like emmett slipping up as like an act of like i don't know how like what's the word i'm looking for I don't, the word isn't like cheating. I think the word might be like infidelity. Not mm. even infidelity, but it's like a crime of passion, it feels like, because it seems like Edward, in his response, because Bella says, and for you, never. And like, he seems proud that she's the only one that he has ever been abnormally attracted to. And like, it seems like he's kind of like, Emmett, right. that slut, has had this happen twice, and I, Edward, chastity and pure, have never felt love before, like, have never experienced this before, which is, like, such a revisionist version of this book, because, like, Emmett, like, Edward has said from the beginning that, like, and has said even through this section of the book is that he hated her at first. Thirst and love were not, like, so intertwined for him at first, and it's like he has fallen in love Mm-mm. with her and now it feels like he's revising what happened to make it more romantic and like I don't mm-hmm. know it's like it feels like this like whole chastity purity thing that he has going on is really tied up in his like I've never felt this way before like physically or emotionally you Catholicism though <laughs> yeah I mean he sees both of them as being like bad things yeah. too I mean not all the time but like in this scene in particular when he's talking about either lust or thirst, you know, the fact that he's referring to both of them as addiction is like, makes me feel like he does not understand at all what's happening yeah. to him. And he feels, he feels, clearly he feels really out of control. Although I think we see that he's demonstrating a yeah, lot of control. Yeah. <laughs> I don't think he's doing himself any favors by comparing these things to addiction. I think he's got to get a different mindset and like reframe it yeah. for himself. So that I think if he reframed it on his own, then he might. Um, have an easier right. time but like it's just such a dangerous conflation obviously because like wanting and dependency are like not the same thing <laughs> it almost feels like he's stumbling around for these metaphors he starts with like ice cream and then he ends up on heroin and whatever and it feels like he's trying yeah. to apply human parameters and human experiences to a by definition an inhumane experience and like it just seems like i understand the need to rationalize or like compare as like a way of him like making meaning of it and making that like legible to bella but like like it seems like by very like by its very definition like there isn't something that she can compare it to because it's not something that she has ever like experienced and it feels irresponsible when he does try to do it like in the various ways whether it's heroin or like the weird tofu vegetarian thing or like the the ice cream or like whatever it's like i don't think we're able to quantify this in a way that makes sense in human words so like maybe we should just stop oh yeah (laughs) i think even stephanie thinks that like the ice cream thing is dumb because after he says it she has him narrate oh it sounded even worse out loud than (laughs) i thought (laughs) yeah and it's like you thought the ice cream thing was dumb i feel like it was better than the heroin thing (laughs) yeah 
Let's keep it to ice cream. This is a YA yeah. fiction book. I mean, that's true. Like, the <laughs> on the next page, he's talking about how everyone in his family, or at least his siblings, experience thirst in different ways, which I think is really interesting that it's different for yeah. all of them. Absolutely. Like, their physical sensation of thirst and what that feels like. I wouldn't think that it's something that's different because, like, I don't know, I think hunger feels relatively the same for everyone. Right, yeah. More questions than answers here. Well, this is something that I missed in this section that I wanted to talk about, but Carlisle forces his children to go to the funerals of the people that they kill. Presumably, Edward doesn't have to experience this because Carlisle is not in charge of him while he does his... Or, like, Carlisle's not in contact with him while he does his transgressions, but... I'm kind of curious to whether that extends to, like, Rosalie. I'm sure, like, obviously Jasper and Emmett have both fucked up multiple times in recent history. So I don't know if I like that or not. (laughs) I know. I was just going to ask you how you felt about it. Because on the one hand, I'm like, okay, I see Mm -hmm. why he's doing that. I mean, it kind of reminds me of, like, a couple things. One of them being, like, when... This is a weird example, but, like, when medical students start working with cadavers, like, if they're going to start doing autopsies, they have... They're, like at least in several medical programs that I've heard of, they they have to, like, learn about that person's mm-hmm. life and, like, learn to respect them as mm-hmm. a human being. Also, like, when people, like, in, within the carceral system, like, when people are in, are charged with a crime, I think, I'm pretty sure that, like, in court hearings where there is a victim, the victim or, like, the victim's family are allowed to make a, a like, a speech, basically. I don't know what it's called, but, like, a speech to the person who... Mm-hmm. did the bad thing I, I think that like the person who's getting charged is also allowed to like say something mm-hmm. if they want it kind of mm-hmm. reminds me of that so like in that way it felt like kind of carceral but in other ways i'm like okay i, I get it like he's trying to give them ed- an education about humanity and like make them take responsibility for their actions and like feel the severity yeah. of what they've done but i yeah I i'm similarly torn on it like i think it's positive as like i feel like it's kind of <laughs> I feel like on the one hand, my first reaction was like, oh my god, that's traumatizing. Like, they fucked up and it's something that they are trying to, like, in in the cases of, like, Emmett and Jasper, like, they're actively trying to not kill people during the times when they had their slip-ups. It's a little bit different Mm -hmm. for Edward, I feel, because he, like, he had, like, a system. (laughs) Like, he was systematically killing predators versus, like... And Rosalie, Rosalie, who, like, had an extremely good reason to kill them. But I could see how that would be traumatizing for people that just like honestly truly made a mistake on the other hand i feel like yeah it's the only thing that i could see helping them heal get closure and move on to for the mistakes like i could see how that would be cathartic in some ways i mean i can also see how like it would have its intended effect yeah which was to like for someone like especially for for like jasper or yeah jasper like jasper who needs to fucking learn that humans are Humans. Well, and Jasper, who can if he's going to be who part can of the feel family. emotions, a funeral must be a absolute walking nightmare. You know what I mean? Like he has to physically think, feel the grief of yeah. the people <laughs> at the funeral. Yeah, you would think. I mean, technically, yes, but sometimes it feel it seems like he's not written mm-hmm. that way, <laughs> as if like he's not impacted by emotions in the way that would would sort of temper his impulses. Yeah, I think that Stephanie really half asses his his gift. It's like she remembers it when it's convenient, yeah. but then, like, yeah. And I can't see someone who feels that extreme amount of pain doing something like that. Yeah. I don't know. I just think about, like, the way 
the way that like human empaths who like suffer in some circumstances and i'm like you're telling me that someone who physically can feel the effects of people's emotions is like not gonna be emotionally wrecked by xyz like anytime someone cries i cry involuntarily which is horrific (laughs) it literally doesn't even matter if i think they're crying for a like a good reason or whatever like i literally somebody stubbed their toe at work once and started crying and i started crying and i had to like lock myself away because i was like this is disgusting of me (laughs) and i can't imagine what a, a supernatural version of that would be you know Oh, God, it sounds exhausting. I mean, the other part of this that I think is great is that they provide uh, anonymous financial support to these the families of the people that they kill or whatever. That is true. So, like, that's cool. I, yeah. I approve of that. I love that. I don't really have any notes for, like, six pages. Yeah, the next time I really have notes is this whole lion fell in love with the lamb thing. <laughs> yeah, me too. Basically, what happens in this little gap is that... Edward kind of retells the story of their, like, love story so far (laughs) and opens up to her about, like, almost killing her and, like, walks her through, like, oh, this is why I saved you. This is this. This is whatever. He starts thinking about a painting. He says that when they travel through the countryside looking for towns where to settle, Carlisle made side trips to duck into old parish churches And in Philadelphia, or north of Philadelphia, he finds this old Quaker meeting house. (laughs) And there's this, like, painting that they look at. It's presumably a lion and a lamb. (laughs) I didn't even get that till the second time I read it. Same. I, like, went back and I looked because I thought he was going to tell us what it was later, but then he didn't. But it says that it's an an untrained artist. It's no more than 15 square inches and there was something about the simple, poorly wrought image that managed to convey an emotion. There was a warm vulnerability to the animals depicted, an aching kind of tenderness. I was strangely moved by this kinder universe the artist had envisioned. It honestly kind of comforts me to think that Edward did, didn't just like think of so the lion fell in love with the <laughs> lamb yeah. out of nowhere. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Like, it comforts me that there's some context to that. Yeah. <laughs> like, I feel at peace. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's so interesting because they, they say that those lines, Carly looks at this painting and thinks, a better world. And Edward is, like, comparing that kind of tenderness to what he's feeling now and says that that line. Yeah. And then, but then he's like, I wasn't sure that was a true statement, though. And when, like, yes, I was deliberately causing myself unnecessary pain and enjoying it. But the pain was the price, and the re- reward was so much more than the pain. And I'm like, I-, I feel like this line has been canceled out by Stephanie Meyer. <laughs> yeah, I feel like she was like, JK kidding, take back. <laughs> yeah, the painting thing is so interesting. <sighs> maybe that's like the only way she could think of explaining like why he would say something like that. Like, maybe she just wrote it one day when she was feeling like incredibly dramatic, and she read back and she was like, well, I have to find a way to justify this one. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I feel like that's the whole book. I mean, oh my god, it must be so... I don't know if, like, she found this difficult to write or if, like, she had had these ideas for, like, a long time and before she wrote them down, but, like, she's filling in so many gaps and she's doing it, like, very diligently. Like, she's filling in every single gap mm-hmm. to the point where it's kind of exhausting for me, to be honest. <laughs> like, I feel like it's filling... It's more filling in the gaps of Twilight than it mm-hmm. is letting Edward, like, create his own story, at, at times, at least. 
I don't know if it's fair to call the whole book that, but totally. It makes my observation so far is that it makes some of these original pieces of dialogue from Twilight seem random when juxtaposed. Random or like out of place or just in they're just in a slightly different realm or feeling than than like Edward's internal narrative. The things that he says in his narrative feel really different than the stuff that he says out loud. Does that make sense? I don't know. That does make sense. Yeah, yeah. I, I agree. It makes me wonder what this book would be like had she written it when she intended versus like... Yeah. And not to say that there wasn't like... Obviously there was discourse on Twilight back in the day, but like this book was like truly shaped by the way that people received Twilight. Um, and it would be really yeah. interesting to see like what this book would have been like had she written it and published it when she intended. I feel like it may have felt differently. This is getting to the part where he decides that he's going to, like, put his fucking face all over her neck. Oh my god. Put his head on her pulse or whatever. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And this is one of the parts where he's like, I'm just gonna, like, read the quote, actually. Yeah. For the first time as I breathed in the sear of her scent, I let myself imagine it. Rather than blocking my thoughts, cutting them off, and forcing them deep down, out of my conscious mind, I allowed them to range unfettered. They did not go willingly, not now, but I forced myself to go where I had always avoided. I imagined tasting her, draining her. Blah, like blah, blah, a blah, juice blah. box. Like a juice box. Slurp, <laughs> slurp. We hate that. Again, I don't. It's questionably. Absolutely. Irresponsible. I feel like for Bella, Bella's just sitting there, like, being horny, and he's like, I'm gonna think about killing you on purpose. Yeah. So, okay. Yeah. Um, it seems unfair that she doesn't have that context, you know what I mean? Like, right, yeah. It seems like, it seems so unfair that she doesn't get to know, like, what is going on. <laughs> yeah. She is so observant, and she's so in tune, but, like, there's so much going on in Edward's head at any given goddamn second that, like, she doesn't even get the chance to, to pick up on all of it, because... I don't know, there's only so many hours in the day and this boy has a lot of thoughts. However, on the next page, we make leaps and bounds for Edward's mental health. Yes. I would say three three huge leaps of into better mental health come about on this page. Mm-hmm. And it's sort of coming out at the same time as he feels like he has safely made it out of Alice's not, so to speak. Mm-hmm. It feels even more significant than like the actual challenge that they were presented. First of all, we dive into this monster discourse that I've critiqued Edward for before in previous mm-hmm. episodes where like he was separating himself out from this like monstrous side of himself and now he's saying that there's there it's not separate and it never has been and that he had been like disconnecting himself and like from that part of himself and like personifying that that part of himself. He acknowledges that it was a coping mechanism and not a very good one. And it was better to see himself as a whole bad and good and work with the reality of it yes correct yeah edward is your therapist i'm very proud of you and he also comments extensively on his anxiety he Mm -hmm. says i thought i understood a little better what had happened to me before in the violent reaction that had terrified us both i had been so convinced that i might be overwhelmed that when i when i actually was overwhelmed it was almost a self-fulfilling prophecy my anxiety the agonizing visions i'd obsessed over plus the months of self-doubt that has shaken my former confidence all combined to weaken the termination the determination that I now knew was absolutely up to the job of protecting Bella. And I'm like, yes. Yep. And then he also says, <laughs> like, so glad we're here. Thank God. <laughs> he also makes a comment that um, now that he's through the knot, he was very comfortable and eager for the rest of his life to unfold. 
Yes. Finally, we have a fucking non-suicidal Edward. I know. It's huge, huge progress. It's like, also, is it going to stay like this? <laughs> I doubt it. I feel like it's going to stay like this up until the second they meet the 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 nomads. Like, the second that James and Victoria and Laurent are introduced. Right. It's going to all come crashing down, and I feel like it's going to be... I don't know. I feel like this might be typical, but, like, it feels like it's going to be worse because he's like well i'm never gonna let myself get comfortable again (laughs) yeah yeah he's so exhausting he really is i feel like god (laughs) i don't know i don't know it just it feels like this section feels like we are really in his head you know like so we've been in his head head. yeah (laughs) we've been in his head but for this section i'm like you live like this (laughs) <laughs> well, the rest of this chapter is um, they leave the meadow and he runs with her. Obviously, that's like makes her nauseous or whatever. And while he's running, he's like, maybe we should kiss. Um, <sighs> I hate, I hate <laughs> like, okay, here's my critique. I'm sure I made it when we read Life and Death and I'm sure I made it when we read Twilight. But I'm going to say it again. I feel like the right time to do the goodnight kiss is... Or the goodbye kiss, I guess. Well, it's about to be nighttime. Is when you get back to her house and she's not nauseous. Or before, before they ran, like, there was totally a moment where he was even thinking, like, oh, I want to kiss her right now. And I don't really know why it didn't happen there. I mean, whatever. I don't really care. But, like... (laughs) I wonder if it was, like, the fear of, like, what the meadow means. Yeah. Yeah. That, like, he's like, oh, we're out of the meadow. (laughs) Time to go. Time to kiss. I don't know. I feel like it's only 2020 Edward that is, like, explicitly thinking about sex, you know? I don't think 2005 Edward could ever do this. He even, like, in the next chapter says or thinks the word sex. I'm like, wow. Wow. Yeah. (laughs) It's like, I feel like it is reflective of Stephanie being thrust into a sluttier society than she probably was in in 2005 (laughs) by... Yeah. like fame because like i don't know i just feel like she wasn't in a place where she could have written the word sex um yeah <laughs> and now she probably is because she has been around people like katherine hardwick that are a lot sluttier than her i feel like slutty by katherine hardwick listening may not appreciate that i view that as the highest compliment yeah it's such a compliment katherine we love you we love you we <laughs> die for you come on the show yeah i don't know he he thinks about it so much more explicitly than Bella does in Twilight, which is interesting because in Life and Death, Bo thought about it way more explicitly than Bella did also, and also Edith talked about it out loud, and, like, they had a whole conversation yeah. about it. I don't know, with the context of, like, that, I guess there's the passage of time and, like, whatever, people grow and change, but, like, with the context of, like, her writing Life and Death to be like, oh, it's not gendered, and then for her in like the two books that are the two versions of the story that are from the perspective of men to like talk about and think about sex way more explicitly than like the version that's from the perspective of a woman i'm like hello like that's so obviously (laughs) like men think about sex and like women don't (laughs) yeah maybe in this book but i don't know and like also i don't know and i feel like it's also too tied up with this thing that like even though he is less comfortable with, like, I don't know, I guess it makes sense that he's less comfortable, so he's calling the shots and initiating the intimacy, but the fact that this chapter ends with him <laughs> kissing her neck 
from her like her jawline to her like chin and her ear and stuff like that i'm like who are you who are you yeah i mean i'd like to amend my statement obviously bella does think about sex she just doesn't do it as explicitly like as edward and Bo are allowed to yes she doesn't like bring it up in an explicit way in the way that it's coded explicitly think about it it's extremely coded i think we understand that bella does very much want to have sex with edward but she's not allowed to like express it in the same way yeah she Um, always has to do it through like (laughs) skirting around it yeah that's it isn't it that's the end of the chapter (laughs) for the weather and forks today it is now 7 p.m it is about to start raining it's gonna start raining either at 8 or 9 p.m and it's 48 degrees which honestly sounds lovely and it's gonna rain pretty much for the remainder of the week so today saturday through next friday so it's a good time to be a vampire well thanks for listening to this fucking long chapter let it write in and let us know your thoughts on the meadow scene yeah i don't know it's not that it didn't live up to my expectations it's just that it was so dense yeah i was getting tired like i mean the first time i read it just like leisurely i for like the first part of it i was like okay like i'm into this fun it's the medicine wow and then i started getting tired of it and then by the time i like went back to like read it analytically i was like "Mm -mm." yeah which is kind of how i feel about the medicine in twilight nowadays though interesting i used to love it like when i was like 13 of course right I don't find the meadow scene in Twilight as exhausting as I found this, but yeah, I definitely it has definitely lost some appeal, maybe because of how up and down Edward is. Yeah, yeah, I can see that. I feel like yeah. it's just it's so much darker, which like makes sense because Edward has so much more information and context than right. Bella. But it's like it's 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 <laughs> a <what> lot. <laughs> I feel like you're reading Midnight Sun, but at what cost? <laughs> yeah, yeah, at what cost? The flashbacks are worth it. Totally. The flashbacks are my favorite part. I would read just the flashbacks. <laughs> I agree. I feel like that would be a really great, like, thing for her to write. Like, like all a, like, short story, like, Second Life of Brie Tanner kind of thing. Yeah. Like, let's write her an email. Yeah, let's check in. Dear Stephanie Meyer, we are your most loyal fans. We have... have loved everything you've ever done. <laughs> we have never, ever, ever, <laughs> ever We've spoken never badly your name. of you. <laughs> or called you names on the internet. <laughs> just too friendly, just too friendly fans. Yep. That's all. I've had people ask me, like, or ask us even, like, are you, like, why are you Team Edward? Like, why, like, do you like Edward and Bella? And, like, I do. Yeah, I do too. I I am a fan of Edward and Bella. I want them to be together. I'm I'm rooting for them all the time. But, like, honestly, sometimes it's, like, I'm rooting for them in the way that I root for, like, a couple on The Bachelor. Yeah. And then, like, and then, like, I'm, like, oh, like, you, all, through all the turbulence, like, you got through all the bullshit, and it's really dramatic, and, like, now you're here, and you're together, and I'm gonna follow you on Instagram, (laughs) and watch your picture-perfect, if not deeply heterosexual life. Yes, I get that, I get that. I feel like I agree, like, I like the idea of them together it, it fit it like it makes sense like whatever but <laughs> if like i don't know would i be friends with them as like uh, like in real life bella yes edward probably also yes together oh my god no <laughs> we can never hang out as a group oh my god 
uh, we, we would never if we were friends with them we would never see them because they would just like be sequestered by themselves oh my god yes they're totally like the 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 couple that gets into a relationship and abandons their friends which is like you know that and is addressed yeah it's addressed in new moon that, yeah. the, that tendency of theirs but it would have been <laughs> it would have been so much more interesting if bella did have like a really good human friend like not more interesting but i guess if stephanie had more time to develop hu- bella's human life before introducing edward as like a concept it would have been really mm-hmm. fascinating if she had someone who she was like in a in a deeper relationship with like in her life that she had to hide this from than just mm-hmm. like her kind of clueless dad and flighty mom she really gets off very easily because yeah. of her lack of connections to the human world. I could never get away with this. It's so much more interesting when people have, like, even, like, if there was a sibling or someone that, like, she was super close to that was, like, also, yeah. f- like, f- implicated in this process or something like that. Um, yeah, it'd be, a, like, a harder decision. That's, I think, what this misses for, like, this story misses for me, too, like, is the depth of Bella's human existence in terms of relationships not in terms of her personality oh it's real yeah but not for bella not for bella <laughs> everything's perfect <Okay>. well <laughs> that's what you get on gender forking after dark it's spicy you never know what you're gonna get full of surprises <laughs> live your life on the edge i live my life as editor of this podcast as way riskier than edward and like his knot in the middle <laughs> absolutely every day it's like a knot with me in editing i'm like am i through the knot am i gonna <laughs> am i gonna upload this episode <sighs> no all right oh well okay <laughs> cool <laughs> that's the life of being a part-time podcaster <laughs> if you want to make it so that that is more consistent <laughs> Join our Patreon to the degree that yeah. it allows Sam to quit her job. <laughs> yeah, do that. Okay, well, do you want to sign us off? Sure. Thanks so much for listening to Gender Forking After Dark. Um, <laughs> That's my favorite running gag. <laughs> yeah. Anytime that the sun is down when you yeah. start recording even though the sun is was very much still up when i started recording it's gender forking <laughs> after dark thanks so much for listening to gender forking uh <laughs> i wanted to say something else but i don't know what it is we've said it all <laughs> uh we've said it all okay thanks so much for listening to gender forking <laughs> tune in next time for more of our thoughts and feelings as always send in your questions we would love to talk about your questions, especially next time, since we'll only probably be covering one chapter, maybe. Um, not that you'll hear this before we record that. <laughs> you know what? Thanks so much for listening to Gender Forking. We'll see you next time. That's all, forks. <laughs> <laughs> you got four endings to that show. <laughs> and we were better for it. Listening to Gender Forking, a Twilight Saga podcast. All of seasons one and two are now streaming. To stay updated about the podcast, follow us on Twitter and Instagram at, at @genderforking. For more Twilight content from us, follow us at bowlingshirtbellas at tumblr.com. 
For other inquiries, email us at bowlingsherbellas at gmail.com. If you would like to support the production and maintenance of this podcast, head to patreon.com slash genderforking. The music you are hearing is from O Lucifer.